0: Data science, data analytics is a team sport. It requires a lot of interaction between the business and the technical team in order to succeed. So once you pass this initial phase of identifying kind of the short wins or quick wins, the next phase is really trying to actually talk to as many business stakeholders as you can trying to identify what are the kind of the business problems. These business problems can range between something really small to something really strategic that would require to be on the roadmap and that would require, for example, multiple years. So you really need to actually prioritize some of these use cases based on the value, based on the technical complexity, based on data availability, based on the partnership you have with IT organization and business partnership. This is very often which is missed by many organizations how much business is ready to do the work with you. And if you have this in mind, you will actually be able to group all of these use cases into particular product areas and actually scale up your analytics organization based on this.
1: I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. Today, I'm sitting down with a very special guest. He is Dr. Alex Lazarevic. He is joining us all the way from the US. I am very excited to spend some time with you, Alex. How are you going today?
0: I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Philip?
1: Ah, great, 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 great. Very excited. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. I was hoping that you could give us a, a bit of an overview to your background, and then we can take the discussion from there.
0: So a little bit about myself. As you mentioned, Alex Lazarevich, I am data analytics professional first. <laughs> I have around 20 years of experience doing data science, machine learning, AI, whatever you call it, because more recently, there are a lot of noise around this space and many people call it different names but mean the same thing. So I'm doing this for 20 years. Actually, I can frankly say that data analytics is my passion. Uh, even as a kid, I like the numbers and I often like to play with them in some way. <laughs> when I had the opportunity to come to the United States uh, for my PhD studies, my advisor was starting a completely new area at that time, uh, which was called machine learning. Uh, at that time, I didn't know it would become so hot like mm. today, but the whole concept was so fascinating that I ended up doing my whole career, and the fact that I was able to predict this actually just shows my prediction capabilities. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yes. And uh, over this time, I actually grew from someone who is like a technical professional who was actually able to implement most of these machine learning algorithms myself, to a data analytics executives who really knows how to drive the value across the company, how to drive analytics strategy, and how to drive the analytics roadmap. I work in many different uh, industries, uh, including healthcare, uh, property and casualty insurance, banking, manufacturing. And I was always trying to create the value and create the impact across the organization by using the data driven insights and building the data driven culture across the whole company. I believe that this kind of diverse experience gives me a unique kind of perspective how to look at things in a different way and how to approach certain business problems using analytics. So that's really briefly about me. Most recently, I was. Uh, a vice president of advanced analytics data engineering at Stanley Black & Decker. There was leading analytics organization there. For people who are not familiar with the company, we are much more than just uh, the tools that many people associate us with. We have other businesses like security, healthcare, robotics, and that gave my organization opportunity to work on many different sets of projects, including pricing, customer experience, supply chain management, procurement analytics, just to name a few. Prior to this, I was working at uh, Aetna, which is healthcare insurance company, where I was responsible for healthcare fraud, waste and abuse detection, which is actually how to catch the doctors who are trying to gain the system in some way. <laughs> and that was an eye-opening for me. At that time, I realized how the healthcare system in U.S. is really not doing well. And there are many opportunities how data can help in order to improve the healthcare in the U.S. Prior to that, I was working for... Travelers in uh, property and casualty insurance, when I was doing different forms of insurance scoring and uh, telematics as well. So this is really briefly about me. Who am I? And uh, I'm really, really pleased to be here and talk to you today.
1: Oh mate, it is yeah, so so impressive uh, your your background and your wealth of experience. So I'm very very keen to to pick your brain. Um, I wanted to to first ask you about um, if about the. The I'm either processes or methods that you use to identify areas of value in organizations to to apply analytics and and data science to, Um, and if you can tell us a little bit about that, and then how that applies to really broad remits when you're looking at a at an enterprise wide, and if that's different, it changes your approach when it's an enterprise wide versus a a particular area of of focus. But how do you how do you, I guess, prioritize and find the areas to focus
0: on? That's actually a very good question. It's a pretty broad question. I'll try to provide a concise answer. I'll try to provide my experience, how I approach this. So whenever you are starting analytics initiative across the whole company, you really have to think what are their urging business needs? How you create the value? Because at the end of the day, analytics organization exists to create the value for the company. If you don't create the value, you will fail. <laughs> and uh, there is a second uh, aspect of this. Very often, there are a wide range of expectations what business uh, wants from analytics and what they expect from analytics. And some people don't trust analytics at all, while some other people actually believe analytics will solve of bullet for everything. So you really have to navigate this kind of wide range of expectations and see how you can actually be successful in partnering with all many uh, different people. And this is easier said than done. (laughs) And it would require initially creating a quick wins, I would say. So identifying the right use cases that would be relatively quickly to develop and implement, create something that business would like and would use eventually and start actually deploying and adopting within their business processes. By using this approach, you will actually build trust and credibility Mm -hmm. with your business partners, because that's really key. You need a partner who is fully committed and dedicated to work with you instead of just giving you requirements to do something on your own. Hmm. Uh, if you just get requirements and you do on your own, this typically doesn't work. Hmm. Data science, data analytics is a team sports. It requires a lot of interaction between the business and the technical team in order to succeed. So once you pass this initial phase of identifying kind of the short wins or quick wins, The next phase is really trying to actually talk to as many business stakeholders as you can, trying to identify what are the kind of the business problems. These business problems can range between something really small to something really strategic that would require to be on the roadmap and that would require, for example, multiple years. So you really need to actually prioritize some of these use cases based on the value, based on the technical complexity, based on data availability, based on the partnership you have have with the IT organization and business partnership. This is very often, which is missed by many organizations, Mm -hmm. how much business is ready to do the work with you. And if you have this in mind, you will actually be able to group all of these use cases into particular product areas and actually scale up your analytics organization based on this. By creating this kind of quick wins, you will be able to earn the seat at the table at the business, and participate with them in building the strategy for that particular business organization. That, in my opinion, how it should be done and that's how you should probably scale up the analytics organization.
1: I love it, I love it. That is uh, man, like a, a, an excellent answer. Very, very pragmatic, a wealth of experience in there. Um, I wanted to ask you about how to, um, how to measure or get a sense for the business readiness to, you to use uh, the analytical products. I think that's, as you mentioned, that's an area that's often overlooked and it can be it can be quite tricky to navigate. Um, what are your, your um, thoughts and recommendations in that space?
0: Uh, you're absolutely right there. It's very tricky to evaluate
1: and very tricky to navigate as well.
0: <laughs> so through the series of conversation, you can have a clue how much business knows about analytics and very often, when you start conversation with the business partners, when they are interested in applying analytics for a particular business problem, you will very often get the requirements of, okay, we need a dashboard for this, or we need a report for this. Just give me the data, give me the report, and that would be it. And that's not typically the best way to handle a particular, particular problem. Uh, one example is, for example, if you have a, a customer attrition as a problem, mm-hmm very often you will hear from the business, give me the report how many people or how many customers we lose on a monthly level and actually who are these customers, why they are losing them. And the typical approach how I would do it is, okay, we can definitely do that. It's not too straightforward, but, but why we don't take this little bit in a different perspective? Why we don't take a look and see who are the customers who are most likely to leave? Can we predict those customers and can we proactively reach out to these customers instead of losing them can we actually proactively identify what are the major reasons, try to address these reasons and keep them because it's much easier to retain the customer much lower cost than actually to acquire new customers again. So going back to this, from the set of questions from the conversation, you will get a glimpse of what level of data literacy business has. And you'll have to navigate the business a little bit into the approach it would like to take. The business or anyone actually at the end of the day would like to believe their idea first rather than if you serve idea yourself. <laughs> and again, this is easier done than, you know, easier said than done, but you have to be, to be able to navigate them to the solution that you want and it would be best for them, but not necessarily what they wanted initially. And how to actually address this is actually you have to be really careful through all these conversations. Mm-hmm. You have to be, uh, you have to enable them to actually learn more about the technical concepts of analytics, but not only about the technical concept, also how to think analytically. What we did at Sunny Black & Decker, we organized a few workshops. We called them AI slash machine learning for executives in partnership with DataRobot. And we tried to teach executives and the management how to think in an analytical way. We brought the use case that would be relevant for them. And we thought how other companies and what is the industry standard, how analytics could be leveraged for this particular use case. That significantly helped them to actually change their mindset and how the data could be useful for their approaches.
1: Great, 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 great! Uh, I have so many, so many follow-up questions. Um, so, <laughs> I I might first ask you, um, I might first ask you about adoption of AI initiatives, adoption within the business. And and if we can spend a little bit of time discussing the uh, sometimes referred to as the last mile, as in like the the analytical product or the or or the the predictive model has been delivered and is available, uh, but then there's a, a change management piece to get business to change their processes and adopt it and use it. Um, what have you seen work well in 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 the in the adoption component and and uh, what, what are some, some things to stay away from in, in that pay, in that last bit that that really helps us unlock the value from from our our efforts
0: uh, that's a really excellent question, and very often uh, it's a reason why many analytics projects fail as well because you don't have a proper adoption and actually someone who will be responsible for that and in my opinion, in order to have this kind of full adoption, you need to have a person fully dedicated for that mm. whether i mean we call it product uh, manager, but you can call it any different way, really. But you need to have a person who is responsible for making sure that business gets the requirements what we agreed initially, there is a proper adoption, there is a proper training, there is a proper way to quantify the value that particular analytical solution creating for organization, and also how to track the value. When you have these kind of things, you will be able to show the value and the impact and show the ROI. Only in that way you will be able to grow and show that actually there is a value in what you're trying to do. So you need to have someone who is fully dedicated for that because it's not something you can do on site. It requires a lot of work, a lot of interaction with the business, a lot of hand-holding, showing them how certain things are done, making sure that it's done in a proper way. So it requires a specific role just for that that training, adoption, and everything.
1: Great, 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 great. And then... um... You touched on um, a follow-up question that I had, which is around how to measure the value from, from uh, analytics and, and data science initiatives. Uh, do you have any, any uh, perspectives there?
0: It's a tricky one. Sometimes it's relatively easy, sometimes it's extremely complex and it depends on use case that you're trying to do, it depends on you know, the business partner, it depends on many factors really. For the case that I mentioned for the customer attrition, it's relatively easy to mention based on the, how many customers you saved and basically based on their annual revenue, that's how much value you create. Uh, for more complex cases like demand forecasting, it's really, really difficult to measure, for example, how much improvement in accuracy of let's say 5% would contribute to the overall value. You have to consider you know, on time and full delivery, you have to consider inventory, you have to consider many, different things in order to do this in a proper way. And you really need to work really closely with the business partner in order to make sure that both parties agree what is the right way to measure the value, how to quantify the value, and how to track that value over time. So my favorite answer always is, it depends, and that's true these time as well. <laughs>
1: yeah very very true it's um it's it's um really really broad but um i really like that the insights that you have in terms of being able to segment and and almost ca- categorize them into easier to quantify and more difficult to to quantify because then it's sure. um you know it, it it takes a bit of the mistake out that sometimes people say oh that's too hard but there are easier ones and and more difficult ones so that's that's really helpful um I yeah. I wanted to ask you about the um, the maybe preparation of data of, of data analytics leaders. Um, so from what we've been discussing is that um, in 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 leadership in in our space uh, you need to understand business. You need to have a lot of good stakeholder engagement. Understand the strategy. Be able to um, you know, get consensus and alignment throughout the, the organization. And those set of leadership skills and, um, and uh, I guess, stakeholder engagement skills, they're often quite different to the skills that we build up during our data science and analytical careers in terms of being more on the delivery side. Um, so how, how can we better prepare uh, leaders that are emerging, coming up, um, and, and maybe what would you tell yourself, you know, 20 years ago, what would you like to have to have known?
0: That's excellent question and actually addresses a lot of challenges that many organizations are facing today. Um, so data analytics leader, in my opinion, has to be someone who has both technical skills, soft skills, communication skills, but also the business skills. So when you start adding skills, you are easily starting to talk about data science unicorn right? or any kind of unicorn. <laughs> and these people are not easy to find. Uh, many organizations are going either trying to find business people to lead the analytics organization or the technical people to lead the organization. And actually, it doesn't work either way. <laughs> uh, I recently read uh, there is, on survey that among data analytics leaders, 71% do not have any technical background which is, in my opinion, concerning. Wow, <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> but I think uh, that's something we need to work by providing the proper training. For technical people, it will be training about the soft skills mm-hmm. and the business. For example, for my team uh, at Stanley Black & Decker, I organize a few workshops about executive presentation skills because very often people who are technical either do not have interest and actually do not are not able to present uh, business experts really well. So they need to learn how to talk to the business because business is typically not interested whether you use neural network or can neighbor in order to do certain things. They care about the results. And the simpler you go, the better for the business. On the other side, you need to provide a set of training for the business as well to understand a little bit more of analytics and how to think in analytical mindset. So you need to provide some kind of analytical workshops for them trying to understand the analytics at the high level really so we can create a common ground so we can talk more successfully and work together so that's in my opinion how you work together in my opinion if you hire a leader in particular analytics leadership role uh i'm not sure if you'll be able to find someone who has experience basically technical leadership sub skills business knowledge if you don't have all three you need to make sure that leader and leader needs to be aware that they need to learn whatever they are missing on their side in order to be successful, and only by doing this you will be able to get someone who is able to drive the value across the whole company
1: yeah yes so true so true and um, and and people need to be comfortable that the the the, the time the, the way that they use their time and their at work is going to change drastically from you know, being a, an analyst or a data scientist to when they become a, a data analytics leader, um, it's it's night day.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely right.
1: Yeah, really great, really great. Um, and I wanted to ask you about where your um your passions lie in in this space. So we've covered lots of different uh, industries, lots of areas of applications, um, lots of challenges in terms of, of implementation. What in in, in in all the, the, the space that we have in the in our in our wonderful industry what are the areas that get you most most excited and passionate
0: I mean data analytics is my passion in general but one particular industry that I am particularly passionate about is healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, in healthcare in US is pretty reactive I would say mm-hmm. and there is a tendency oh. to actually treat people rather than to cure people, and to be uh, proactive rather than preventive. As Benjamin Franklin said, the ounce of prevention is worth like a pound of cure. And I believe that uh, by the way how we live our life, the way how we actually eat, would pretty much uh, improve our health, in my opinion. And data would be a significant booster for this kind of approach. Right now, in US, I I know in US, actually, 50 to 60% of people have at least one chronic condition. And 80 to 90% of overall cost is for treating people with chronic conditions. So if you just improve that little thing through a data-driven approach, by trying to understand who are the people who have these chronic conditions, who are people who are prone to have these conditions based on their personal characteristics, demographic information, or social determinants of health, you would be able to do like preventive, provide them with some preventative approaches rather than just relying completely on drugs and actually improve the overall healthcare. Uh, second thing, the provider's uh, efficiency in US is extremely low. They do a lot of unnecessary procedures. There is a lot of healthcare fraud based and abuse. Just to give you a fact, based on the most recent information, around one-third of entire cost in US is wasted in some way. And considering the fact that the United States spent $3.5 trillion based on the latest number I remember, this is like at least $1 trillion wasted somehow. Uh, wow. You can imagine what you can do with this money somewhere else. <laughs> and data would be a significant factor in driving these changes. That's why I believe that data could significantly help improve healthcare. But at the same time, it's extremely challenging. You have multiple players, multiple entities. It's not like a centralized system like in other countries. And we are number one based on the spending in the entire world, but the United States is ranked number 34 based on the quality of healthcare they provide. Wow. So there is a lot of, lot of unsustainable things what's happening here. And I believe the data could significantly change that. Sorry, it was a longer answer, but I something I'm really passionate about.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm keen. I'm keen to continue exploring this. Um, so on the, on the on the preventative side, um, I, I, what what do you think um, are the the challenges that need to be overcome um, from from a data perspective in order to be able to provide more focus or more access to preventative healthcare? Um, from some of the from some of the reports that I've seen. There's obviously wide array of estimates, but from some of the, some of the ones I've seen is that um, doing prevention, as you were saying, prevention is better than the cure and the prevention can have like a two and a half times factor of um, improvement in the, in the cost when it gets um, when it get, when the disease eventually comes, but delaying it, delaying that onset of a chronic condition um, can save two and a half times of um, the amount of money that is that goes into the, the prevention. Um, so what do you think are some yeah. of the limitations uh, when it comes to being able to offer more access to preventative healthcare?
0: So one of the biggest challenges I see in the United States, and I'm not sure about the rest of the world, to to be honest, uh, since there are so many independent entities, uh, players, I think uh, the biggest challenge is actually how to share this data, because the more data you have, you will be able to get better conclusions about individuals and how you help them. Because right now you have insurance companies who own the claim information, you have medical providers who own the electronic health records. You have the labs, you have the lab records, and you have, you know, other players that have other information. And there is no consistent effort to actually combine all this information together. Uh, and without actually having holistic view of everything that's happening, you will be restricted to do much with this kind of the data-driven data approach. I think that's the number one. I think uh, if we figure out the way how we can share at least anonymously some information about the patients, yeah. how to discover some patterns, and these patterns can help particular people, I think that would be extremely beneficial. I think that would be, in my opinion, extremely efficient, and will go a long way in order to improve the healthcare and improve that uh, preventative, uh, preventative approach towards the healthcare.
1: Great, 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 great. Uh, so yeah, I think that the, um, the data connectivity is, is a, a, key, a key challenge. Um, In the US, from my understanding, you guys have much better uh, access to data than uh, to healthcare data than what we have in Australia. Um, So one one of our challenges in Australia is capturing um, more data and and Mm -hmm. sufficient data. And for example, like we don't have uh, we don't have um, uh, pharmacy data or insurers won't have pharmacy data. Insurers in Australia don't have data from GPs um they don't see pathology um so it's it's like a huge limitation to to for insurers in australia to look at hospitalizations only um and then from a government perspective to only see the public hospitalizations but not private uh and as you said like it's Mm -hmm. it's very uh fragmented um very very sparse and there's uh, at least in australia from my perspective there's there's a need to capture more information about um, people's health in one spot, about their lifestyle factors, uh, as you said, like the social determinants of health and, and then yeah. being able to offer them something that's personalized to to help them improve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, sorry, any,
0: any, yeah, any? There is definitely, yeah, there is definitely a trend, not just in healthcare, in every industry, there is definitely a trend on personalization. This rise of consumerism, is really kind of happening right now every industry every company is trying to provide a more personalized offering to their customers whether this is healthcare whether this is selling uh, certain things like amazon or providing other options everyone is trying to actually please the customers and in order to please the customer you know you need to know the customer (laughs) and there are often you know constraints first you have a lot of privacy laws that actually restrict you from knowing a lot of information. But as I mentioned earlier, if you have some kind of anonymized data that will, that will allow you to discover the patterns, you will allow to actually apply these patterns to specific customers and you want to actually target specific needs that that customer may have. For example, in the healthcare perspective, if you know that certain people are prone to have like say diabetes, you will suggest certain type of the diet for them, certain type of exercise for them in order to avoid this. It would be good for them. It would be good for the health insurance company. It would be good for everyone. But um, unfortunately, I mean, this is not happening. <laughs> and I think there are multiple reasons for that. First, I, I blame people uh, you know, as well. I think many people don't actually take health for granted. They don't treat health as a serious issue until they lose it. <laughs> and they actually also, health insurance companies, are not eager to do this because it requires a lot of investments. Medical providers are not eager to do this because they will actually lose some money. Pharma is also not interested to do this because they're also losing the money by this approach. So there are a lot of conflict of interest in this kind of approach. But I think as a society, it's something we need to do. We need to change the way how we perceive our health and how we live our life, in my opinion.
1: Ah, so so true, so true. And, and and I'm I'm so glad you brought it up. I, I wanted to ask you about the the behavioral science component to um to be able to help or encourage people to look after their health. Because I, I totally agree with you that the incentives don't the current incentives in the system don't don't really exist. Um and for individuals, they um, as you said, like they only look after, or they're more likely to look after their health once they see that they start losing it. Um, so, is there anything from a, from a behavioral science that we can do to help people take take action earlier on?
0: That's uh, like a trillion dollar question, I believe, <laughs> and because that's how much we raise, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's extremely. And it's extremely hard to do. Honestly, it's extremely hard to do. People are not easily uh, addicted for something that will help them. People are addicted to other things. We are addicted to our phones. We are addicted to other things. But when it comes to our health, when it, when it comes to something that is good for us, we often find excuses not to do certain things because we don't see that immediate benefit, as you mentioned. So some insurance companies are approaching this to provide some kind of uh, small incentive, small rewards by exercising sleeping well eating well something like that but these are relatively small but i think this can still boost people to actually do some kind of thing so you need to provide some kind of small incentive and you need to introduce some kind of the surprise effect there not to keep the the same all the time but to put some kind of surprise at the same time when you're looking at your phone and sometimes you're surprised at certain things are happening oh this is a new thing i didn't see you need to provide this kind of variability in incentives that you provide to people in order to make them uh, addicted to their health as well. I think this is, in my opinion, how you should get people actually uh, 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 intrigued to something that would help them as well.
1: <clears throat> great, 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 great! I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and and then maybe maybe um, last question that I'll ask you on the on the on the healthcare. Um, part of the discussion is, and this is also a tough, a tough question, I think, but um, the, you mentioned that the healthcare in, in the US is, is very expensive. Um, why, why do you think that's the case? Okay, uh,
0: you are just asking tough questions. <laughs> so I think uh, the reason is partially what I mentioned earlier. You have so many players and everyone wants to chime in a little bit and get their piece of pie. Right, you have uh, healthcare insurance companies, you have medical providers, you have uh pharmacists, you have big pharma, you have labs, and everyone is trying to chip in and get their piece of pie. Uh, just to give you a piece of information, I believe in 1965, uh, US was spending 4% of GDP on healthcare, which was around maybe $100 per family. Mm-hmm. Today, this number is almost close to 20% of GDP, and more than ten thousand dollars of per family <laughs> this is simply not sustainable. If we continue this pace, we would not be able to do what we do as we do today. so something has to change absolutely has to change, and this kind of cost at the end of the day, people pay for that, and or other companies are just chipping in and actually growing their business. I think we have to change the way how we treat the healthcare and how actually not let people pay for all these constant increases over time. That's what we have to change. And I believe by providing more efficient healthcare, more preventative approaches, that's the way how we can change that. But right now, all these challenges that mentioned earlier is extremely hard to do. And, but I hope, I honestly hope this will change because we have to change it. It's not sustainable.
1: Yeah. So true. Uh, Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um so next I wanted to, to ask you about maybe looking back at, at um, the, the career that you've had to date, all of that, that wealth of, of experience, working in different industries, different size teams, different maturity of organizations. Um, when you look back, what have been some of the some of the key challenges that that you've um that you've had to overcome? What are some of the, the, the lessons learned that those gave you? Um, and it can be like either like toughest problems or more difficult implementations or changes in organizations um etc but what are some of the the tougher challenges uh when when you look back to your career today
0: honestly there are many challenges <laughs> in this space and the challenges are changing over time yeah i believe honestly i would try to group them into three big buckets right now mm-hmm. i think the especially for the organizations that are not uh, data-driven in their nature, who actually start to actually capture the information over time. I think number one problem for this organization is data quality. Many data are in silos. Mm -hmm. Many data are coming from different legacy systems and trying to uh, aggregate all this information and make them more approachable is definitely number one uh, challenge. Second challenge is around the proper data management, data governance, data accessibility, and ingestion into the space environment that you want to do data analytics. Because the first question is actually to make sure the data has a good quality. But the second, once you do this, you need to make sure that data is accessible by everyone. If you want to be, build a data-driven culture cross-organization, you need to make sure that data is accessible by everyone, not just by the data scientists, data engineers, and other data analytics professionals you need to make sure that people can access, can have extra data to play with this, do whatever with them. Not necessarily they will do the right job, but at least they will have a feeling. They will understand a little bit more how difficult certain things are. (laughs) And actually, that's absolutely the thing that you have to do. You have to do proper data management, access control, uh, data accessibility, providing the tools that will allow people to do this. And the third challenge, in my opinion, is that lack of data literacy. Uh, basically lack of that uh, analytics awareness. And in my opinion, you actually change this by providing the right training, working with the business to educate them, making sure that they change their mindset. So this is, in my opinion, like a three major challenges that many companies are facing today when they use analytics to drive the impact across core whole company.
1: Yeah, oh, great. Ah, oh, they completely resonate with me. Like, <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> um, what what do you what, what would you say to um, or maybe the question is what does what does um good uh, data management look like? What are some uh, some of the the either requirements or the often missed um areas that that uh, people should should think about?
0: Uh, okay, this also depends <laughs> on the organization. Depends what you're trying to do. I think the first thing is going from simple collection of data sources that you have in your data lake into more like something more structured, like either data warehouse or enterprise data warehouse, When you have to have pretty well organized data across either product domains or across the certain certain kind of either problems, you need to make sure that you have data catalogs and right explanation for all the data that you have stored, because very often you get the data, but it, if you don't know what it means. It's useless, (laughs) right? You need to have a proper explanation. You need to have a data steward who know your data pretty well to provide actually uh, help to people who want to use this data. So basically that's that's one thing. You have to have regulated access control with all the privacy concerns raising right now. You need to make sure that uh, people do not get wrong data and the data they should not get. (laughs) So that's something that you should really, really helpful. And also... Making sure that you provide efficient access and querying the data in order to actually make analytics really, really, really efficient. In my opinion, these are kind of the some of the things that you really need to take care of before right. you start your analytics journey.
1: Great, 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 great. So, so, so good. So good. And um, for how about for 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 people where um, that might sound like. Um, or maybe a better way to ask is like, what, what about a, a, an, an entry-level um, data management uh, approach if organizations are maybe not at the, at the scale or um, or don't have the resources to provide that, that amount of, of infrastructure, where would you recommend that, that people start with um, in improving their, their data management side?
0: Again, it depends. (laughs) It depends on the maturity of their IT. Mm -hmm. It depends on where you are in your analytic journey, what kind of data you have, whether the data sits mostly in silos, or you already have some data within your data lake or uh, kind of cloud environment. It could really depend. But my suggestion is to start slow. Start to actually work or prioritize data sources that are most critical from the business perspective, something that will bring the most value rather than sit you know, isolated for two or three years and just focus on the data aspect. And that's why, for example, many chief data officers leave actually their job after two years because their job was not well-defined. And actually they focus most of the time just on data without actually focusing on a business aspect. Uh, yeah. yes. So you need to be able to prioritize the data that you're working on that it has the biggest impact from the business perspective as well. That would be really my advice for many organizations.
1: Yeah. Ah, oh, great. And so true about the, the CDAOs moving after two years. Um, it's tough. It's, 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 the the CDAO is such a tough gig. And like, as you <laughs> said, like the expectations are like through the roof. It's, it's very um, unclear and, and kind of like still forming. And the, um, the, requ- the requests often don't match the needs of the organization um, and and often lifting the, the capability requires a, a starting from from foundations for a lot of organizations exactly uh, what, what, yes. what do you and see at the
0: same time yeah and, and sorry just to add at the same time cdos also do not have a right support from the same c level of other roles like of cfo cio they don't actually not really trust, but they don't have support to actually drive some of these changes. And often, CDOs are frustrated with everything that, that's happening, and that's why they're leaving. On top of basically what you mentioned, that the role is typically not well-defined initially, and it's not clear what is expected from them.
1: <clears throat> and the, the expectations are so, yeah, so, so varied that um, you've got to do the, um, the data management, but also launch new products and services and make sure that AI is using yep. everywhere, and that we're monetizing our data and um, that we're having an AI factory. And, and, and it's, it's um, extremely, extremely, extremely challenging. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a, a tough gig. What do you think will will evolve uh, or what do you think will happen in the, in, in the space going forward? Uh,
0: there was a recent article by Harvard Business Review and I believe that was by HBR. Uh, and I think one of the trends they see is there will be some kind of uh, negation between chief data officer and chief analytics officer, like chief data and analytics officer, when actually that person would be able to consider not only the data aspects, but also the business value. And actually, because only by using, actually by looking at both of these aspects, you would be able to actually drive the value across the organization. So basically, just sitting and working with data will not help the organization. Also, if you're just focusing on, on analytic aspects without actually having the good foundation, you will not go far either. So that person, whether this is one role or two roles, these people, these two people uh, have to work really, really, really closely in order to make uh, that organization really su- uh, successful from that perspective. I think that's that's kind of probably one of the trends, that is kind of more synergy between mm-hmm. these two roles. And also uh, support, executive support from C-suite and from the board has to happen as well. Because that doesn't exist today. And this again could go through analytics awareness, increasing the data literacy. These are kind of things that you have to change.
1: Yeah. Ah, oh, so great. So great. And the and, the, and the, the the level of support is is so important where I've seen organizations that they're they're happy to invest in data scientists and 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 get get AI is kind of like what they think they're buying, but they don't want to spend on uh, on data management on data warehousing yes. on on access controls and governance um, yeah that, that yes.
0: it, it, very often very often very often the c-suite of the companies are pressured by Wall Street to hire someone in this space without fully understanding what it means and actually uh, they want to minimize the uh, cost but they want to maximize the hour outcome and I just want to show the world say, okay, we are doing this, we hired a chief data officer or chief uh, analytics officer or, or, or someone like this but actually the impact is not there due to many, many, many other reasons it's already mentioned so far
1: Yeah, so true, so true, great um, so um, one of the uh, one of the last questions that I had for you was um, around your your frustrations and things that you would like to, to be different and this can be on um can be on on definition of roles as we just spoke or it can be on the on the technology side on the technology platforms it can be on the um on the data literacy in in executives and business world um anything anything what are are there any particular areas where um you're frustrated that it could be better it should be better why are we not there yet
0: that's a tough one, <laughs> which I have to be careful how to answer, right? <laughs> uh, I think my, my, my major frustrations around the challenges I already mentioned, I think frustrations around the data quality, that's definitely a frustration. And if, I think the organization have to consider the way how to change the way how to collect the data, especially if there is a human included in the process, that should change because in my opinion, very often, if you have human in the loop, that the data quality is even worse. Uh, So basically changing the way how we collect the data, how we actually collect the data across the organizations. That's number one, actually making the data more accessible across your data organization, making sure that data has easier and faster access. I think uh, we'd basically focus on both. Very often when we were part of data science organization, we were not able to get certain data within a matter of weeks, right? And that's typically people are not, they lose the interest to do cool stuff if you have to wait for data for a month or two, right? Yeah. So that's kind of speed of getting the data and easiness of getting the data. That's something that you need to change as well. And finally, you know, I, I don't like to sound like a broken record, but again, data-driven culture. I like people to be more open to embrace analytics and start changing their mindset and start thinking more in analytics way. That's the only way how the analytics will drive the change across the company, in my opinion.
1: Great, 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 great. And then maybe last last um, tough question is how how would you measure <laughs> the data literacy of of maybe of an individual? Like what, what are the things that you look for to say um, to say this person's at a low, medium or high level of, of analytical literacy?
0: I'm already used to tough questions from you. So (laughs) I'm not surprised with this one. So um, that's a tough question. It depends on the role that that person has. And that kind of uh, level that you mentioned, low, medium, high, would depend on the role. Uh, Apparently, if you're a data scientist, your low may be high for someone else. (laughs) And you really need to define these levels based on the role that you have, whether you're a data scientist, data engineer, or just the business executive. And apparently the level of knowledge you need to have is quite a different, but you need to make sure that people at least know you know, some high level concepts and how analytics in general could be applied. I cannot provide like a magic wand and say, this is the way how we will evaluate the people with let's say this person is 73% uh, uh, kind of knowledgeable in the analytics space because probably that doesn't exist because it, it, it depends on role. There are a few companies that are trying to provide some kind of training evaluation based on your role, but I don't think we are still far from the perfect way to handle that. Yeah. But I think depending on the role, you need to know certain, you need to have certain knowledge in order to allow you to have a success at your organization by using data and analytics. Yeah,
1: so true, so true. Well, Alex, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of experience and knowledge with us and all your insights. Uh, it's been a fantastic discussion and um, the, yeah, your, 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 uh, your passion and your experience uh, is, is palpable. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
0: Thank you, Philippe. It was really my pleasure. I truly enjoyed the conversation. I'm glad that you shared the same kind of uh, vision, how this should change. And please do not hesitate to contact me any other time. Truly, truly enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes if you like this episode it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you thanks again and see you next time